1: Hey, folks, Scott here. Just wanted to announce that in the very near future, Tristan and I are going to be doing a Q&A episode where we answer some of your burning hot questions about aliens and history and culture and all sorts of fun things. So if you want to ask a question that we might answer in that episode, please go to ProbsNotAliens.com. There's a big glowing button at the very bottom of the screen that says, ask us, probably, anything. You can submit your questions there uh, and we can can't wait to do like a whole community uh, mailbag episode where we kind of chat back with you all. It's going to be very fun. Uh, So yeah, probsnotaliens.com. Click that button, send us your questions. That's it. On with the episode.
2: the first guest you've had on that 100% firmly believes in ancient aliens and will not be convinced otherwise? Oh,
1: so yeah. that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think I started that way when the show was going, but, mm-hmm. um, and then, I yeah, I lost my way a bit. So I think I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that you're here to help ground me back Get into- you back on track. Yeah. yeah. We are responsible
0: yeah. journalists. We have to cover both sides of the issue. So- Yeah. Fair and balanced,
1: yeah. obviously. Equal amount of time, equal amount of weight to to both sides, I think, all
2: ideas are exactly as good as each
1: other. Yeah yeah so. yeah, yeah,
0: so we're going to now do the next thirty-five episodes, only covering pro ancient aliens uh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. we covered mm-hmm. all the ones that aren't true. Now we're doing all the ones that are true. That's you know, correct. it's
2: interesting. In the in the early episodes, uh, y'all were like, "We're gonna, we're not gonna, you know, cu- we're gonna come to it with an open mind." And it mm-hmm. was amazing how quickly you realized, like, "Oh no, we're <laughs> not gonna do that.
1: This is all really dumb." <laughs> it was so hard.
2: <laughs> I think yeah. we tried
1: so hard. To be like we're not going to be jerks about it, and then yeah, less than a handful of episodes in, I think we were just like, I don't know, man, this is
0: this is kind of this is real silly. I'm not in the business of destroying people's asses with facts and logic, and so it it, it, it was conducive to not I don't like talking down to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I, I will do on that, but um, but you know, these people are uh, hucksters, like, yeah, the yeah. absolute worst kind of like lazy intellectuals uh, I've ever. seen. Are we, is this a show now? Are we making, is this a podcast? I think we're doing a
1: show now. So let's, I mean, I'm excited to, I'm excited to get back to my roots of, of believing in ancient, uh, ancient aliens. And it's all thanks to our very special guest who we'll introduce in just one moment. But first folks, hi, this is a podcast. This is a podcast called It's Probably Not Aliens, where we, uh look at ancient aliens and I normally we debunk them, but I guess we're out, we're out of that now, right? That
2: was a phase that we were in. Well uh, you can try. We yeah. are
0: rebunking now. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Ancient aliens rebunked. We are That's... taking the bunk back. Welcome to it probably is aliens. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's right. It's a full rebrand. Uh, My name is Scott Niswander. I know nothing um, except for the divine truth that is that aliens exist and visited us in the past and made all the cool things that people made.
0: Uh, My name is Tristan Johnson, and I have for almost a year now, over a year, uh, because we had a big delay between when we started recording when we released the show, uh, I am settling decades of just nerd rage that I've been building up around this show in this area of study. Um, And I am extremely pleased to bring on to the show uh, because we are, you know, we're doing an ADHD friendly episode and uh, we talked about how last week we were like doing the cardinal sin of having two ADHD hosts. So I thought, why not make the trifecta since we're doing three topics, we're doing three short topics, we're doing friendly. So I brought my very good friend Mildred on to help us with the riffing process.
2: I'm that one. That's me. Tristan was just talking about me.
1: Absolutely and you have a you have at least two fantastic YouTube channels that
2: I know of. (laughs) No one will know the the full total, but yes. uh, I have Thought Slime, where I discuss slime feces and genitalia and other things typically considered ugly. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, Scaredy Cats, where I talk about horror movies. Now, I know that you guys are a little squeamish about uh, bird-related swearing. So Mm. I just hope it's okay to say genitalia because I will be saying it a lot.
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. We we gave you your script before this episode and at Mm -hmm. least 40% of it is just the word word genitalia. Yeah, um, I've
2: I've highlighted that word throughout the script. Yeah. I know
0: you've added a few more, so it's fine. You know, Mm -hmm. you do you. We want to get the authentic Mildred on this um, Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about today? We are doing a grab bag. We did one way, way, way back in episode 10, which I think we recorded over a year ago now. Yeah. Um, And what this is, is that I always uh, look into all of the things as I'm watching Ancient Aliens and, uh, you know, fiddling through different topics to cover and all that kind of stuff. And every once in a while, I come up on a subject that either is not dense enough in like, you know, the facts and like the stuff to really like uh, chew on or there's not really a compelling story. That's like more than just, hey, these people believe this. It is a thing that is wrong. Mm -hmm. So I thought, why not collect these? Because um, when you're dealing with conspiracy theories. Uh, they tend to get mad if you do not cover literally everything they've ever said. So I can't just you know, dismiss them and throw them by the side. So I decided to um, piece them together. And so every so often we'll get these grab bags where we take three micro claims and, yeah. and talk about them. And we've got some really fun ones today. We've got the legendary Baghdad battery, which I think we've yes. hinted at uh, earlier in this uh, podcast. And We are going back to um, the place of that fucking bird fame. We're going back to Saqqara Mm. to talk about some serious bullshit. And we are going to talk about whether or not the moon is hollow. I thought that'd be a good eclectic collection of of fun things. Now, that's a good one. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. So why don't we start with the Baghdad battery? Please. Now, this this
2: surprises me because I did not know Baghdad was powered by batteries.
0: It used to be, as we'll figure out in Babylonian Hmm. times, not anymore. Yeah, ancient times. Yeah, now they have renewables. That's good.
1: Everything's run off of Teslas. Yeah. I don't, yeah.
0: Yeah, Tesla does things. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: they they run it off of the car itself. Mm -hmm. And much like the
0: Tesla, um, have you ever, um, Mildred, Scott, have you ever, when you were a kid for science class, um, made a galvanic cell with either a potato or lemon juice where you were able to maybe get a uh, voltometer to move its needle by sticking wires into a potato? Yeah. So
1: I've I've never done this, but I saw it a lot on Hey Arnold, because that's what his clock was run off of. And I always thought, mm. I didn't know if that was a real thing. But
0: Or, uh, yeah. alternatively, if you have played the video game Portal 2, uh, there is a moment where GLaDOS mm. is run on a potato.
2: Which I think very much overstates the amount of power that can be drawn from a potato.
0: Yeah, very much so. Uh, it can probably not even um, fire up a uh, light bulb. But basically, it uses acid, and acid uh, can create a current, at least a little one. And so, yeah, it's it's a fun little science experiment. But one of the things that is interesting that the ancient aliens people have talked about in several cases, because we've talked about how... On Ancient Aliens, they talk, they've posited this idea that in the past there was advanced technology that we ha- don't understand. We've talked about uh, Vimanas, we've talked about, you know, ancient um, airports. Yes. We've talked about um, the pyramids being a like yeah. hydrogen powered uh, power plant. And um, one of the things that we always say about, you know, trying to put some question marks on that is where's all the infrastructure? You know, you can't have a power plant and not have like a grid of wires everywhere, making sure that everything runs. And they would claim that actually um, the Egyptians did have an electrical infrastructure, because if you go to a completely different part of the Middle East, Iraq, we have found mm. mm-hmm. uh, something called the Baghdad Battery, which is sort of this clay pot, like uh, this like vessel that. Yeah. Is is very interesting it is fairly acidic on the inside and it's sort of sealed with this metal rod and some bitumen and it kind of looks like the diodes on a battery yeah
2: well i'm convinced this is a battery obviously yeah there's no further context required i Good luck <laughs> yeah
1: I mean they did didn't they they showed this on Mythbusters I'm pretty sure and I can't remember what the final uh, final f- ruling was but my gut is to say it was a hundred percent. Confirmed.
0: Yeah, which feels right to me. And they probably found some way to electrocute somebody with enough of them. That's probably yeah. the thing they did. I'm pretty sure. Uh, in there or was that no? Because we've mentioned this because it was back in the past when they still yeah. were more interested in the inquiry, and then in the later seasons when they were just like, no, now let's take it and blow something up with it. Let's blow or something, something like that. up with it.
2: Yeah. Boy, there's no there's no Discovery Channel show that you guys won't roast. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. man!
0: First the History Channel, now Discovery Channel. We're doing it all. Yep. Next, uh, Animal Planet is the next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh what's the thing we're gonna puppy ball you're going down
2: <laughs> they've had <laughs> Those it too puppies good, too puppies can't well. play football
1: <laughs> they're breaking all the rules
0: yeah uh we learned in the movie airbud that uh dogs cannot <laughs> play sports uh, by the rules so was that
2: was that the message you took from airbud
0: <laughs> I guess not I guess the, I guess the <laughs> trick was that the, the the rule said that technically a dog could not play sports and that's no, or it no it was technically there's no rule
1: that a dog that says a dog can't play the yeah. sports
0: so. I'm going to make a, my own version that I've always thought of which is a hockey movie where it takes place in the same universe okay but some like clever hockey coach realizes this and gets drafts an African elephant as the goalie for the team oh that's good and just they just lie down and block pucks and there's no conflict yeah and there's no conflict it's just <laughs> that's yeah. good um but yeah Baghdad battery so I- I'm going to tell you what this thing <laughs> is and um how it was discovered and what sort of theories have been built up around it yeah very please. quickly it falls apart that it you know it, 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 if, if even if it was a battery n- not likely one that could power a civilized Um, Mm. So it's a set of three artifacts that were found together, specifically a ceramic pot, a tube of copper, and a rod of iron. It's made of terracotta, uh, about 140 millimeters uh, tall and 38 millimeters at the mouth. Or for Scott, six inches and one point five inches. I was um, literally about to type that into Google, so thank you so much. Mm. <laughs> so it's not huge, you know. It's the size of uh, uh, it's the size of you know a six inch sub, as I know, or, or it's slightly yeah. larger because aren't the six inch subs technically not six inches or something? I don't know. Yeah, but, it, uh, it, it, uh, there's, there's always Google.
2: a good side and a bad side. Yeah. Mm.
0: Uh, So at the top of it, there's an iron rod that's isolated by the copper by something called bitumen, which uh, Mildred and I as Canadians are familiar with the word, Uh, but it's basically like this. It's basically tar, uh, very thick tar. We know about this because our country is currently destroying the planet, trying to harvest it um, in the most as the most inefficient source of oil imaginable.
2: Yeah, I definitely don't know about it from Dwarf
0: Fortress. Oh, there's that too. (laughs) And it has, yeah, plugs and st- it has something that looks like plugs and stoppers and everything is sort of snugly put into it. It's not watertight, though. So mm. if the jar were filled with liquid, it would also surround the iron rod, which kind of m- m- negates the battery aspect of it uh, instantly. But uh, the other thing, too, is that we have limited information about what this could be because it had spent a lot of time exposed to the weather. So it had uh, some suffered some form of corrosion. Gotcha. Rained a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, no. It's a rack, so not really. But um. oh, okay, <laughs>
2: how do you uh, how do you explain the big Energizer logo on the side though?
0: Ooh. Can't, well, can't talk gotcha your way there. out of that one. Gotcha there. The thing is that rabbits could play drums back then, but that mm. was, uh, they, they forgot. It's a cultural, um, it's a cultural loss so altogether. <laughs> so this was found in a place called, um, today it's called Kajut Rabu in Iraq. But in the past, it was the capital of the Parthian and Sasanian empires, uh, a city called uh, Testaphon. And it's probably from one of these periods now. The Parthians existed around the time when BC and... And CE met each other and the ah. Sassanids came or the uh, the Sasanians came a little bit after that. So we're talking about this kind of period of history. Think like, you know, the the three digits CE most likely.
2: Yeah. 0 thereabouts.
0: Mhm. Yeah. And most of the study came from a German archaeologist by the name of Wilhelm Konig who was an assistant at the Iraq museum in the 1930s, because the 1930s was around the time Iraq got independence from Britain. So it was still a British mandate at a certain point in that. And so of course its museum was still occupied by a German, German people and and English people and such. Hmm. Um, Although that it's been written about, there is some evidence uh, later on that it's possible that the excavation was like, it's not, it's not possible. It was confirmed that the excavation was not super well documented. Like archeologists are super, super careful about Uh, documenting where things are found and the context things are found in and a lot of the information about things, especially things like ceramics, Mm -hmm. come from that kind of study. And that's why we don't super know which one it is. Although if we look at the style, they kind of imply that it's probably Sessanid, which is the more later one, which is sort of like the very, very late years of Iraq uh, before Islam.
1: So you're saying you're saying the archaeologists who found this were a little sloppy. They didn't document things as properly yeah. as they could have. It
0: turns out that archaeology uh, about, you know, 80, 90 years ago was more just uh, a term for looting colonized people than it was the actual like systemic scientific study of the past. Uh Boy, good
2: thing we've put an end to that. Yeah. (laughs) As I'm sure a close study of this podcast will demonstrate. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But to this day, we still don't really know what it was done, and we can't really study it because of some parts I'll talk about later. That's a little sad. But um, Koenig, who worked at the National Museum and actually, like, you know, worked with it, suspected that it was a galvanic cell, which is used for something called um, electroplating, which is a very fun, cool thing, which is that you can take uh, gold and uh-huh. say put it in some sort of like liquid medium and then say you want to cover something with gold like a like a metal piece of jewelry or something like that you would dip it in the gold and you would run a weak current through it and the gold would be like electromagnetically uh Whoa. attracted to it and would cover it and that was like a way that a long time ago like we this is one of the early uses of electricity is we could do with a pretty low current something like this uh usually onto silver i think it actually has to be silver I, I'm, I'm not sure on that but Basically, this was what Koenig thought it was. Yeah. Feels like alchemy almost. Just like. Yes.
1: Changing something to something else.
0: The main problem is that uh, Koenig really didn't like context because there is Uh. no object that is electroplated in this region in this period.
2: Oh. (laughs) But if everybody's just going around looting everything, maybe everybody took all the gold stuff first. Yeah, Mm. that
0: could be the case, Uh, though. At this point, we don't have any evidence of any electroplated items existing uh, in this region. And when looking at the jar closely, you see that there is corrosion that looks like it was done by something acidic, but it could easily be something that is acidic that's you that we would put in a jar uh, thousands thousands of years ago, like say wine or vinegar or something like that. Mm. Hmm.
2: And you can't make a battery out of wine, can you? It gives me power.
0: (laughs) You could. I think it is still acidic enough that you could probably do the same, like, you know, potato battery thing out of it. But uh, you could also say that if you see an ancient jar that has, uh, that has wine in it, you could suspect that its first function was to contain wine.
2: <laughs> right, okay. Or, or mm-hmm. maybe every single jar of wine we've ever found was actually a battery. Think
0: about that one. Ooh. Huh? Mm-hmm. So the entire... The entire like uh, wine making industry began as batteries first. And then they're like, if you drink this battery acid, it's pretty great. It's pretty yeah. delicious, actually. They were like, this
2: if I drink it, maybe my
0: insides will become coated with gold. Ooh, and then they drink it. They're like, nah, just
2: rules. It's
0: just a party. <laughs> it's just awesome, actually. <laughs> making some real breakthroughs on archaeology here. And yeah, vinegar could possibly also be the answer. You know, vinegar, very common agent used in all sorts of stuff uh, back Uh then. And also the iron rod that would have acted as a diode for a battery doesn't even come out of the bitumen, out of the plug, which means that it would not be possible to connect a wire to it and the copper. So you couldn't make a circuit the way that it's uh, constructed. And also he found some objects that were gilded. At least they were like, you know. Uh, gilded with uh, gold and he thought that they were electroplated but careful analysis has shown that those electroplated items are most likely done by something called fire gilding which I believe involves melting gold and putting it on that uh, using mercury somehow because I think mercury dissolves into or gold dissolves into mercury really easily and stuff like that. Only when mercury is in retrograde I think.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And and apparently this is part of a a tendency um, that apparently a lot of like early archaeologists when looking at anything that looked like it had some sort of chemical attribute to it would be thought of as electroplating accessories. Like everything, like I guess like there's like a, a carcinization, but for batteries, like uh, archaeologists keep trying to think that anything that looks like it's acetic is, is an ancient battery. <laughs> they just assumed
2: that like everybody was super horny for electroplating all throughout history.
0: Yeah, basically. As it was, you know, a very simple way of doing something. But it's like one of those things that makes more sense in retrospect. And so people keeps there's a lot of artifacts uh. that people would mistakenly try to associate with.
2: Do you know what is like the earliest example of a civilization doing electroblading?
0: I can find that out for you. Luckily, that we record this in the internet. So. Um.
2: <laughs> I'm just curious as to how implausible a claim it is.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think like it's, it's it's like it has some pretty early, yeah, first sentence on the Wikipedia article. It's been theorized that the first electroplating was done in the Parthian Empire. Uh, uh, <laughs> William Koenig, as an assistant. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, be, be careful about your uh, Wikipedia reading. It seems like probably the first sign of something actually being electroplated was an Italian chemist by the name of Luigi Valentino uh, Brugnatelli, who did it in 1804.
2: Are you sure he's Italian?
0: <laughs> yeah, the most Italian name sure? ever. Um, apparently, in 1805, he made, uh, he electroplated something. And so, um, 1805. It was a pizza pie. Yeah. Now we don't we, we we don't think logarithmically, but like you would think that like technology-wise, actually like the you know ancient times in 1805 are not as far as we would think compared to like you know our almost singularity technology today. But it was I'm still sorry. it's still I'm, quite a big leap.
2: I'm just how dare you say I don't think log- logarithmically? <laughs> I have speak for yourself, sir. I absolutely think logarithmically.
0: Okay, You'd the what first human known? to do so. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing, too, is that um, if you were to use the best possible acid in this, uh, which would be vinegar uh, that would be available at the time. If you were to make something like this, uh, a, a ba- an electrolyte, if you will, um, mm. the battery would be very, very weak, like very, very weak to the point where it could not actually be used for electroplating. Aww. Now, some people still cling on to this. Uh, there's one professor by the name of Paul Keiser, who is a professor at the University of Alberta, who still believes that the Baghdad battery is a battery, but that it wasn't so much used for uh, electroplating as it was a kind of mild current used for um, you would attach it to a person and it would cause sort of like a tingly numbly nummy oh. feeling and uh, as a form of uh, what's today called electrotherapy interesting that mm. could possibly be a thing uh like electro acupuncture type deal but still that's that's in you know that's against what most of the profession seem to think at this point i was
1: gonna ask is that more be- like substantiated more believed in than than it being for uh electroplating
0: it could be a use case case because the acid's not like like it because it would have such a weak current you might be able to use it for such a thing to make like a little bit of a tingly feeling yeah but um hmm. at the end of the day the way that the seal works doesn't look like it was designed for attaching things to make a current anyway if memory
1: serves i think that is genuinely what they tested on mythbusters like they hooked the Baghdad batteries up to what would be otherwise like an Ark of the covenant which feels like it's combining two completely different things but, <laughs> but I, well, I, if ancient
0: aliens can do it they can do it
1: yeah and i think they were trying to be like if you if it generates enough current that you feel something sort of tingly that could be people feeling like there's like a presence of Divine beings or something like that. I just—it never occurred to me until now th- how weird it was that they combined those like of the Baghdad Battery with like, and also the Ark of the Covenant is also in this story for you know, some reason.
2: You know, if they if they don't want people to think it's a battery, they should change the name. Yeah, that real. is true. That's yeah. a little misleading, to be honest. There's your problem. With you. yeah. yeah, the Baghdad wine jar, <laughs> the Baghdad cool jar for cool guys. <laughs>
0: jar for teens. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't actually have another name that I can find, which is really weird. So so the, I guess the question then comes, like, what is this thing for, actually? And uh, people have looked into it thinking that maybe it was used for uh, storing scrolls, and that the scrolls sort of eroded away, and that's what caused the acidic thing, is, like, the like disintegrated paper oh. or whatever that made it. Hmm. And, it, like, basically, what, basically because there was acid found on the inside, or a sort of acidic residue, that the Baghdad battery might have been something that held these scrolls and that it eroded. And as it eroded, the papyrus sort of disintegrated and that left a sort of acidic residue. So that could be the answer, and that was sort of an answer that that, that kind of came close to something that looked like it made sense. Okay. Um, unfortunately, no one has seen the Baghdad Battery in almost 20 years, though. Yeah, the Mythbusters stole
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they took it to power it. the Ark of the Covenant.
0: Yeah, go after them. <laughs> it's actually much sadder, which is, um, now two thousand. Uh, so 2003 is when it went missing. Now, um, if anyone knows of anything interesting that happened in Iraq in
1: 2003.
0: Hmm. Uh, <laughs> gosh. Now, we, you You've asked me this question before,
1: Tristan. <laughs> and I believe my answer at the time was that I was still, th- I personally was still thinking about the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie that as came we out were. the year before. And so as a young child with with that on my brain it was hard point to focus order. on much else
2: yeah point of order i believe that came out in 2001
1: no i'm pretty sure that was 2002 they were gonna do 2001 but i believe they had to change the date of that movie 9/11 because, related uh, delays because it took place in new york and they had to change some things real quick let's we're, we're all
2: googling yeah, it you're right it was it was may 3rd 2002 so yes
1: exactly I, 20 years ago a couple of days ago Wow! Look at
0: us. And now he's got a new, a new Marvel. And now, now Sam out. Raimi just came
1: out with another. Wow!
0: Do you think that was on purpose? I don't think so. No, don't I, maybe it could be, but I don't know.
2: someday, someday a future podcast will be discussing whether aliens helped Sam Raimi make Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, that's just, that's just, they no didn't fact.
2: have the technology to make it on their own. I know. Can you imagine <laughs>
1: how many Baghdad batteries he would have needed to power all the cameras and lights and things?
2: Oh, my goodness. Tristan, yeah. if you could do the math for us, yeah, can you check that into your calculator? <laughs> we'll wait. A
0: lot. I remember when I calculated like, um, how much, like, uh, how many pyramids you would need to power a light bulb, uh, before, yeah, and it was just it was like, it was ridiculous. Um, it was a lot, it was like 30,000 or something. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, but, it, but either way, um, the problem is that when the United States invaded, Iraq uh-huh. uh, in 2003. This was a story that I remember, but also my mom was really into archaeology. So maybe she pointed it out to me. But one of the things that happened is that the museum in Baghdad was looted uh, during the invasion. And mm. one of the things that was looted in the invasion was the Baghdad battery. So we haven't seen it since 2003. We don't know if it is still if it still exists or if it is somewhere on the black market of antiquities. Oh, but at this boy. point, it is
2: gone. Can you imagine you you there's there's looting and you're like, oh, I'm going to grab I'm going Grab something real valuable and they get this shitty battery, can't even electroplate. What a disappointment! What are you going to do with it?
1: Um I did look it up out of curiosity. The Mythbusters episode came out in 2005. So, I did they did they get the real one during that time period? Is it possible? Did they you steal just see it? like
0: uh, what's it called? You just see like uh uh Jamie and Adam just looting the Baghdad <laughs> <laughs> museum. This <laughs> is it possible
2: for that the Mythbusters orchestrated the invasion of Iraq so that they could steal <laughs> the Baghdad battery. <laughs> How did history greatest
0: heist (laughs) It's just like the security (laughs) footage from the museum that's like a Zapruder film but you just see this like silhouetted figure walking away with it and if you like look real close it's a big mustache (laughs) (laughs) oh man so that but that is the Baghdad battery which is probably was holding scrolls or vinegar or wine or something to that extent
2: hopefully not all three (laughs) yeah
0: Uh, but not but but uh, battery and like, you know, the basis for powering a civilization, especially one that existed thousands of years before then in a completely different part of the world. Right. Uh, probably not the case. Well, darn it. Yeah, there was, okay. a, there was a story about the Den, the Dendera lights, which was one that didn't even make it. It was too small even for a grab bag, which was like this like picture of a hieroglyph that, of somebody smelling like a lotus flower. And like they depicted the smell of the lotus as like this sort of like bubble around the lotus with like its yeah. little th- tw- thing sticking out. And they're like, this looks like a light bulb. So obviously they had light bulbs in, uh, in, in Dendera and that was powered by Baghdad batteries. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there you go. Uh-huh, and for some okay. reason
2: you had to put a lotus flower inside the light bulb to get it to work
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> like you do that's what thomas edison invented in the light bulb put a, you put a lotus flower in
1: glass it works <laughs> So, so here's the thing. Look, that claim. All right. You did pretty good with your, with your research. Mm-hmm. This is just, this is what he does, Mildred. This is what he, this is yeah. what Tristan does. He just, he comes at you with all of this, you know, research to try and crush our dreams, but he can't possibly do it for the other two claims.
2: No way. And the bag, the battery, I never even really believed that one in the first place. I was just pretending because I thought it would, it would make you feel smart when you disproved it. But like, there's no way you could do that too more times
0: yeah i'll try my best this next one is a fun return to uh this show this podcast's uh history which is that we are returning to the home of that fucking bird Woo! so we're returning to saqqara uh in egypt a different part of the world than iraq um uh-huh which, uh, which, which conveniently forgot when it came uh-huh. to talk about the baghdad battery so we're going to talk about a place called the the Serapeum of saqqara which is this very interesting place. Now, this one was super duper fun uh, from the way that ancient aliens talked about it. They went real wild, even for them in this claim. Oh, so hit me with it. In the site, uh, in the Serapium of Saqqara, there are these massive sarcophagi, like like the lid weighs 25 tons. The The base weighs 70 tons. And these things are massive. And of course, in typical ancient alien fashion, it's like everything is very cleanly cut with sharp corners because ancient Egyptians don't know how to do rock. Mm -mm. They're bad at rock. so uh, So they didn't have the technology to carve big rock. And that. When they opened them, they found the crushed remains of different animals, which Ooh, shows mm. that it wasn't uh, that, that something funky was going on because the Egyptians believed very heavily that you needed to, uh, to go to the afterlife, you needed to mummify the body, even of animals. And that's why, you know, there are so many mummified animals in tombs. And the fact these animals are not mummified and they're broken up implies that they did not like what these animals were and that they were trying to avoid that, uh, stop them from going to the afterlife.
2: Oh. Tristan, can I stop you right there? There's only one explanation for this. Those animals were aliens.
0: Yeah. You're not as wrong as you think. Um, They claimed that these were possibly creatures that we we're like genetically engineered monsters. <laughs> yeah, oh.
2: it's you get this basically some Egyptian chupacabras in that one, I think. Yeah,
1: uh, we haven't. Fa- there's other ones that we haven't found quite yet, but that's that's the one that's one we do know. And then I'm sure there's like alien, you know, big, big foots, big feet.
2: some Fresno nightcrawlers. Are you familiar with the Fresno nightcrawler? I am not, but I you must know. You must look up a picture of a Fresno nightcrawler. They're incredible.
0: My great grandpa claims he saw Ogopogo. Which is sort of like That's a Loch Ness a, uh, monster for British yeah, Columbia. Winnipeg. Oh, in British, I thought that was in Winnipeg. I, I think it's in. I think it's in British Columbia.
2: I, I was so confident that Spider Man came out in two thousand one. I'm not going to claim anything ever again.
0: Yeah, this is not a movie fact, so I think I, I'm in the safe here. Um, but it was. It's in the Okanagan. That's why it's called Ogopogo. It's, uh, it's in the Okanagan, I believe. The Okanagan's in BC. This corrected. thing's cool. The Fresno
1: Nightcrawler. This thing's cool looking. All right, now yeah. I got to
0: look at it.
2: Audience at home, you please look up footage of Fresno Nightcrawlers. It's not scary. You won't get. Scared. Scared. No, it's
1: it's like someone with real. It's just it's just like a person with just a head in pants. A
2: head. It's just and it's legs. just walking pants. Yeah. It's
0: just. Walking what if somebody pants? was just pants? That's pretty. It's kind of cute.
2: It is the most vibing cryptid of all time. You put a hat on it. That's Homestar Runner. Yeah. <laughs> so. So what's next? Case closed, right? Like there's, yeah, there's aliens. <laughs> it's we aliens. got
1: some, we got chupacabras. We got Fresno nightcrawlers.
0: Yeah. If you were to believe the official story and not that the fact that it's uh, Fresno nightcrawlers. Um, you would believe that these are places for sacrificed bulls to represent the Egyptian god Apis. Okay, Earth but, bulls, but because they weren't mummified, and all this like you know sacrificial stuff wasn't there. Obviously, these were genetically engineered monsters, monster bulls, yeah.
2: alien bulls. Yeah, I mean, because why? Because when they 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 would not value a creature that they genetically modified. Obviously. That would be like mm. a, a shitty bowl for them. They'd be like, ah, fuck this. this Don't mummify sucks. that one.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. I'm just going to float an alternative theory though okay. while we're at it. I'll allow it. So the, 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 the syrupeum, uh, which sounds, which sounds dirty. Um, the Serapium of Saqqara. Okay. I'm glad you said that. I, yeah. I was also thinking that. <laughs> Don't touch the Serapium. It's um, just, I said the word genitals
2: a lot earlier, so I didn't want to be the one to say it, but yeah, I was thinking it the whole time that it sounds like,
0: um, what's, what's the effect? Official word for the for the gooch, perineum. The perineum, perineum. yeah.
2: yeah, that's what it, yeah. Oh. We just
0: earned. We've really earned our explicit tag today. Hey, yeah. yeah. Is a question. Is is it the first
2: time anyone's ever said the word gooch? on it's probably <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. I think that's a record first for, for us. That is <laughs> yes,
0: your uh, that is your claim to fame. So this place, the the serapeum of Saqqara, was a location for. Um, it was a burial place for sacrificial bulls for the Apis cult in Memphis... And that they believed that bulls were the incarnation of a god by the name of Ta, who Mm -hmm. would become immortal after death as a kind of conjoined god called Osiris Apis. The cult is incredibly ancient. So like we have seen Apis cults in Egyptian religion as far back as like 3000 BC. So this is like 5000 years ago uh, from today. And that in this area for a period of about 1400 years, every time we get to Egypt, you're like, okay, we're just dealing with things that happened for thousands of years now. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, for 1400 years, basically from the period of the new kingdom until the Ptolemaic period, the Ptolemaic period was when Alexander the Great conquered Egypt and put his, his buddy Ptolemy in charge of Egypt. And then all of the Egyptian pharaohs after that were Greek. So in the Ptolemaic period, at least uh, for this period, there's at least six cases or sorry, 60 cases of ap- like the bulls being interred here in, uh, in the Serapium. Okay. Okay, so it happened a lot, is what you're saying. Yes. Most of them happened in the 14th century BC under the uh, ruler Amenhotep III, Uh, But the cult has been practicing it. And one of the things that's really cool about this site is that when the cult buried one of these sacrificial bulls, they put this commemorative stone tablet on the uh, on the sarcophagus that had like basically the birth and death dates of the bull, which you can imagine being uh, archaeologists is a fucking treasure trove because knowing when things happened and where is super, super useful. And so it's actually been used, especially uh, in like early Egyptology in the 19th century they were able to establish a whole bunch of Egyptian chronology by studying these birth and death dates on these on these things so really really useful and just shows how resourceful uh, you know archaeologists can be thanks bulls and also that the um, the entire like Saqqara itself is a necropolis which is a Greek word for city of the dead which means that it's just like a big area that has a whole bunch of different tombs and stuff like that I've
2: run a horror movie channel you don't need to explain to me what a necropolis is (laughs) fair
0: fair (laughs) but there are several animal burial sites around uh Saqqara, including um the mothers of those apes apices api apis. Sure. A-P-I-s. A-P-I-s, um, those, api's yeah. those, those apes apices apices um so their mother the cow that birthed those bulls would also be um you know buried in these sites And so that that's the main thing. And then around the year 30 BC, around the time that the Romans conquered uh, Egypt, the place was abandoned Mm. and eventually uh, buried in sand. Now, hold up one cotton picking minute here. If these were sacrifices that were
2: meant to accompany the to go to the afterlife to meet Apis. Yeah. Then how come
0: they didn't mummify him? If that's how you get into the afterlife. It seems like there's a plot hole in this whole whole story. I have a little bit of an answer to that because actually the Apis. um, uh, mummies were not found at all um there a lot of these sarcophagi are empty mm. but yeah the, the place was buried in sand for uh over a thousand years almost two thousand years until in 1850 a french archaeologist by the name of auguste mariette was finding uh found a sphinx in the region and in so cleared out the sand and found a boulevard that led to the necropolis at uh saqqara And in those, he did find one undisturbed burial in uh, one of the lesser vaults that's currently at the Agricultural Museum in Cairo. So if you ever find yourself in Cairo, you can go and uh, see uh, some some cool stuff that was found, because as we learned in all of our Egypt episodes, finding uh, Egyptian ruins that are unmolested is a very rare treat. And so um, yeah,
2: because we can go fuck them up. Get in there and get just
0: ruin it. That we can get them um, bodies. The main the, there's another problem though, and that it, we've lost a lot of information about you know sort of the untouched version of the site for two reasons, which is one, uh, Mariette did not publish a lot of his notes. And then uh, the notes were kept in the Museum of Egyptian Antiquacy, Antiquities in the city of Bulak. Uh, and the Nile flooded in 1878, and his notes were destroyed. So did get, he didn't save it to the cloud at all or anything. Google Doc? No, they, they hadn't invented clouds yet. Oh, um, man. Yeah, uh, but there was another guy uh, by the name of uh, Gaston Mespero who uh, did find some of his notes in 1882. And wrote a book on the site after Mariette died called Le Serapiem de Memphis. Uh, So, um, am I going to make the
2: joke or are you, Scott? You go ahead. Okay. No one writes notes like Gaston.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. No one discovers tombs like Gaston. (laughs) I mean, it's perfect. Gaston, yeah, yeah.
2: I
1: was, uh, see, I was, I genuinely was thinking the same thing, but I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't have a fun lyric to go with right now and so i appreciate you doing it was
2: just
0: there you know i didn't want to jump in fun fact fun fact i have a son and uh one of the things that i was trying to do was find a name for my son who i wanted to get a french name because i'm french and I needed a name that my mother-in-law, who is from Indiana, could pronounce. So Gaston was on the list for a little bit. Oh, really? We went really? with a different one that I'm not going to say publicly, but um, it
2: could that's have... Such a, that would have been a real bad choice. I would have had to talk you out of that one. Okay. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a... I don't know if you've seen the end of that movie. It. He's <laughs> yeah. not as good as he seems. No. I know he seems like he has it all. He's got a dark side, that Gaston. He's, he's a hunk. <laughs> uh,
1: you know, everyone likes him. They sang he, a whole song about him. Encourages women not to read.
0: <laughs> what I think is very interesting is that apparently, um, whoever they have to be the actor who plays Gaston at Disneyland is apparently like he just chews up the scenery, and he's like one of the favorite actors they have there. Apparently, oh, he's amazing. You gotta be, yeah. It's gotta be a fun um, role. Would be probably one of the more fun things to do. Um, but the other thing that we that limits the information that we have about the Serpium is that um, shortly after being excavated in the second half of the 19th century, it became a tourist attraction. As it happens. Basically, pretty much every part except for the bigger vaults were um, were, were made open because the greater vaults, uh, they didn't do it because of preservation. They did it because um, those parts were still buried in sand and inaccessible. So to do that, they installed a bunch of electric lamps. Powered by what, and, Tristan? Uh,
1: <laughs> Ooh, powered maybe
0: by Maybe they what? just found electric lamps in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> could be uh they brought in some like, like magnesium lights even um edward the seventh the prince of wales himself visited this region and had lunch in one of the sarcophagi oh.
2: do we know what he ate
0: i do not i sh- mm-hmm. oh man i didn't do a due diligence there i'm,
2: th- I'm picturing a big plate of spaghetti and meatballs <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm Edward the Seven. <laughs> Just the
1: sloppiest meal possible. Mm-hmm. Get, you're dirtying up the, the Serapium. Stop
2: dirtying my, the Serapium. I'd like one plate of spaghetti and another plate of prime rib, please. <laughs>
0: If I remember correctly, Edward the Seventh is um trying to remember which one he is. The seventh
1: one, I think.
0: Yes. But uh man, dude lived for a really long time. Yeah. Oh, this is a different Edward the Seventh, I guess. This is what, the Edward the how... Seventh, the Prince of Wales, not the King Edward the Seventh or Th-
2: I, I strongly feel like that's a title only one person should have. Yeah. Because then the next <laughs> person would be the eighth.
0: Yeah. And I'm remembering isn't Edward the Seventh the one that turned out to be a Nazi? Um Yeah, yeah, he is. Okay. That's Good fun. Stuff. Ah, British family. Fun history man lots of Nazis if you dig hard enough.
2: <laughs> so if you thought that whole eating inside a pyramid thing was bad, let's put that in perspective. He's done worse.
0: <laughs> he has done worse. Um, uh, but I do not know for sure if it's that Edward VII. Um, I guess, yeah, then Prince of Wales, so it must have been. So I guess it was young Edward VII because it would have been very young because uh, he was born in like the 1890s. So so somebody who died in 1970s had lunch in an Egyptian sarcophagus. What a life. Not a great yeah, one. Yeah, what a life. Oh boy. Yeah, that's the, that's the one who actually abdicated the throne so that he could get divorced because he got divorced and wanted to remarry and uh which you know uh the fact that the anglican church is getting grumpy about somebody divorcing very ironic but uh also he had some mm, sympathies with mr hitler you know what we are way off track on this we're talking a lot (laughs) to dive into we have drifted far from the serapium yeah Um, (laughs) Another problem is that in 1992, there was an earthquake in Cairo that did cause some damage to the Serapium. Uh, Some some of the tunnels cracked. And so now it's closed to the public.
2: That's why. That's why Mm -hmm. it's closed to the public. (laughs) Yes. It's because it's damaged. If it were, if it had not been damaged, they'd still be letting like tourists go and get their grubby little hands all over the sarcophagi.
1: Hands covered in spaghetti, just smearing all over the
2: (laughs) walls.
0: You would be blown away by how many like... 3 to 5000 year old uh ruins in Egypt that you as a tourist can just go and put your hands on it's ridiculous well, Why do you even want to That's a good question yeah. I don't know <laughs> In 2001 they did start a project to try and stabilize it uh which they did do for another 11 years and so now you can see a majority of the site as a tourist attraction oh, Good good oh, Okay so it's a backup Egypt yeah. does have to make money Yeah fair but enough But
2: like couldn't you couldn't you just sell like little serapium-shaped keychains or something. Do you have to let people in to see the bull mummies?
0: Well, you can't see the bull mummies because they're not there anymore. Here's the thing. This is where we get to the part about the ancient aliens connection, which is that um, this is like many things that have existed for thousands of years. This site has been used by many different people for many different reasons. And at one point... Sometime during Egyptian times, at least at a time when people could read hieroglyphics, the Serapium was looted no. by aliens and uh, in some way that had to do something with religion because the names of the bulls on many of those stone tablets were scratched out and all but two of them were plundered and desecrated. And the bull mummies were torn to pieces and their stones were piled on the sarcophagi as a sign of contempt. Oh, So those bone, those bone piles were the mummies.
2: So what religion is it that's like, fuck these bull mummies. Get them (laughs) out of here. What (laughs) an insult to God.
0: (laughs) Given how long Egypt existed, uh, the Egyptian civilization existed, you can just imagine their religion went in all sorts of directions because... The Egyptian religion lasted longer than the entirety of Christianity and then some, and also died out before Christianity. (laughs) Like, we just do not appreciate how goddamn old Egypt is. So, all right, just to get that clear, you're saying
1: the reason why they found these non-mummified, crushed up bones of stuff is because they were originally mummified, but then people came in and and just fucked it up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Whenever you see, like, a pile of, like, destroyed, like, like sacrificial corpses uh, in an area uh, in Egypt.
2: Which, to be fair, doesn't happen to me very often. That's very yeah, true. Yeah.
0: Um, if you're ever in Egypt and you discover a site like that, it's, like, most likely that somebody came to that site earlier and looted it and destroyed stuff. Because, um, like I said, uh, finding an unmolested ancient Egyptian site is extremely rare. For example, that I, I, I talked about this in a previous episode, but I don't expect listeners to listen to every episode. I don't. When Tutankhamun's tomb was found, the reason why, because Tutankhamen wasn't like an amazing pharaoh, he wasn't even a pharaoh that long. He died when he was 19. But his tomb in the Valley of the Kings was unmolested for thousands of years. And so when they cracked open his tomb, all of his stuff, all of his gold and all of that kind of stuff was untouched. And so we were able to see it in the state that it had been in when it was sealed, which is one of like the rarest treasure troves that an archaeologist can cover across. just just so we're clear the
2: longer we talk about king tut the more the more danger you assume of me going on a long tirade
0: about mummies alive just so you know <laughs> i'm not gonna <laughs> the do second it second mummies alive related mm-hmm. discussion we've had <laughs> on this podcast i know i know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, let's let's king let's kick some Tut down the road and go to another topic okay so that's so that probably was an aliens then probably not i i mean uh, yeah. Finding a desecrated Egyptian site probably is due to religious turmoil and looting than it was, you know, genetically modified aliens, just using the sort of like, you know, uh, Occam's razor of, you know, which one requires the fewest amount of assumptions. And one requires that people like to loot valuable objects from places, or they like to destroy religious sites of religions they don't like, Yeah, or that faster than light travel is possible and that yeah. extraterrestrial intelligence somehow crossed the... The oceans of space to make it to earth and one of the things they decided to do is make genetically modified monsters and leave no other evidence of their existence whatsoever well,
2: we don't know if a lot of a lot of those you know maybe they live in the hollow moon but the, maybe the thing That's,
1: is I was gonna say that
2: yeah I don't I don't really remember why I thought this one was aliens in the first place so uh I'll give you this one there but, but there's no way there's no
1: way you can no do way. three for three no way you can do three for no three way because you were saying third, you, you were saying that aliens aliens have to travel so far what if they were already here what if they were in our 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 delightful moon that hovers around all the time and guess what dummy guess what dummy you can't (laughs) see through it so you don't know what's in there yeah how would you know how would you know how could you possibly disprove that theory
0: (laughs) well i will tell you guys all about that but first um do you guys like product I'm more of a services guy. How do you feel, Scott?
1: I, I'm, I could go 50-50 either one, really. Depends on the day. Uh, should, I mean, we could, we could just see. We could just see what well, happens. T- okay,
0: well, let's take a quick product and service break, and then we will come back, and we will talk about the moon and whether or not it's hollow. Let's do it.
2: Hopefully this episode isn't sponsored by NASA. <laughs>
1: It, this episode was sponsored by energizer though uh which which made the whole battery talk sort of a little
0: um I don't know. Should we have done disclosure earlier? Is that, is that weird? It was sponsored by MeUndies, but MeUndies is sponsored by NASA. So. That's true. Uh, well,
2: it was sponsored by MeUndies, but they asked if we could do an ad for Energizer as a gift to really <laughs>
1: complicated. <laughs> yeah. All the, all the brands are working together now. It's a weird. They are like, it's
2: Energizer's yeah. birthday and they really like <laughs> the pod. So. Yeah.
0: This one's on us. <laughs> We've recreated the Soviet Union by every corporation merging into one super corporation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um the moon. The moon. You might have heard of it. I have. Or as I call it, the hollow moon, but go on. The hollow moon. So <laughs> we typically think of the moon as being a solid object, well, our natural satellite that well, orbits the earth, maybe makes the time do. go. Who's yeah. we?
2: You know, the general consensus. First of all, Mr. Occam's razor, now who's making assumptions? Because we don't know for sure that the moon exists. That's also well,
0: true. We have sent people to the moon. There are people alive today oh, who you, have stepped foot on the those. moon. <laughs> you're kidding. one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have, a, I ha- actually have a great uh, series of YouTube videos. I'd like you to watch that might change your mind about this. Uh, it's just, it's someone who just cobbled together a whole bunch of clips of other things to make an argument. Uh, and then if you chase that with a couple Reddit threads, I found, I think, I think you could be convinced
2: otherwise. And then know? the final video is a horse that farts so loud that it scares a dog. It's not related <laughs> to the moon thing, but I thought I, I just thought, you thought could
0: that like one it. was fun. Um, this reminds me, you know, it's one of the funnest, coolest things that is one of the proof, one of the things we know that the moon exists that I always think is really awesome. Um, we have uh, on the moon to, um, to, we did as a way to measure how far away the moon is to so like a very, very, very uh, high degree of confidence. Mm-hmm. On one of the Apollo missions, they placed this like big mirror on the surface of the moon Yes. and we shoot a laser at it and by how fast it takes for the laser to bounce off of it and come back, we can like determine how far away the moon is. I think that's pretty wild. But yeah, moon, moon. Luna, uh, that thing. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard of it. Uh, there is a substantial theory that the moon is either wholly hollow or contains a lot of interior space. You've probably heard this. This, this, this meme has probably come up a lot in all sorts of stuff. I remember there being a uh, movie where the Nazis hit on the moon uh, and the idea of like things hiding in a subterranean moon stuff or a hollow moon. It does show up from time to time. I,
1: for a split second, thought you said the Nazis hit on the moon. <laughs> like they were trying to pick it up.
0: No, there's like a comedy movie. I think it's I think it's called Iron Skies or something like that, where okay. the Nazis ran away to the moon and they have like been living in secret in like underground moon colonies. Mm-hmm. Scott's idea is
1: much funnier. I think my idea is good though. We can make a
0: movie about that
1: one.
2: Sure. Have you uh, Have you any Have you guys in, uh, encountered any believers of the Great Space War yet? Have you heard of no, this? No, I don't know this one. So this is a, a growing conspiracy theory that there is an elaborate uh, war going on between aliens and humans that has been raging for centuries mm-hmm. and that some people have psychic memories of taking part in the uh great space war and part of the mythos that is part of their conspiracy is that the nazis have a moon base and are still extant they're still there yeah
1: damn that's pretty good i i if that was the case i'm pretty sure they would have found it in in the movie uh xenon uh th- the third one the third movie in the xenon Girl of the 21st Century franchise, where Mm -hmm. they uh, do have a base on the
0: moon. My younger sister was obsessed with those when we were kids. Yeah. Maybe that was the
1: Nazi base, was the one they used in Xenon.
2: What are you... um uh, talking about what is that xenon xenon
1: Z-
0: yeah.
2: girl of the 21st century I'm not familiar you're not is
1: this is like a disney channel
0: movie from after my i time? think it's it like a, i think, a think a it's like a channel thing for a, an audience slightly younger than us Mildred. Mm.
1: i didn't i i'm so unsure if you're doing a bit <laughs> i'm not doing a bit i'm
0: not doing a <laughs> i've never I, actually I seen the, a xenon yeah. i just saw the the vhs tapes in my house
1: yeah no uh it's a franchise it's i mean people love it it's a disney movie it's a disney channel franchise it's a good time. star rating could you give me a star rating I think the first one, uh four. Okay. Second one, five. Love it. Uh okay. they all end with a song by the uh pop singer Protozoa, who's an in canon pop singer in the franchise. Second one's the best one. Third one, two stars. It's bad. I don't know if there's a fourth one, but the third one's the one where they're on the moon and everyone everyone's clothes are made of plastic.
2: Well, there you go. The moon's hollow. There you go. The moon's hollow. There you go. Yeah
0: solved well xenon exists in culture so therefore it is just a matter of time before it gets its grimdark reboot Um
2: <laughs> that is true
0: we are in the age of cultural necromancy so everything must be brought back from the dead
2: like archaeologists of old we plunder the past not caring <laughs> yeah. for what damage we do
0: Yep. just wait for our grimdark beetle borgs um okay I went on a xenon rant for too long all right it's fine it's fine so the moon um so yeah this is called the spaceship moon hypothesis it's proposed by a lot of people who believe that um, aliens came to Earth and that the moon is their ship and that they use it to watch over us. Sometimes it's the moon as a hologram and that yes. the ship is disguising itself as a moon. Sometimes the moon itself is just hollow and they have a base there. There's all sorts of various stories. Uh, one of the proponents of that is uh, another person whose second time second time name coming up on this podcast and will probably be the next bio in this series. A uh, little guy by the name of David Icke, who ah, uh, we've yeah. talked extensively about how he has uh, spent a lot of his career spreading a conspiracy theory about reptile aliens controlling the earth that is suspiciously reminiscent of a lot of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Yeah, and sound. he keeps um,
2: winking every time he says it, which is weird.
0: It's <laughs> he a strange keeps,
2: one. He's like, no, I'm, I'm really speaking about reptilians wink. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And there's some interesting claims that they use, some interesting uh, anecdotes from actual moon missions, stuff like that. So why don't we go into that and kind of talk about it. So hold up.
2: They believe that so they do believe that man landed on the moon, but they believe the moon is a hologram.
0: That is what ancient aliens went with. Yes. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Ancient aliens, uh, for some reason, they decided to, I I mean, in this episode, they believed in the moon landing, but who knows what happens in the like, you know, 15 more seasons we have have to go. (laughs) Mm -hmm, So it's mm -hmm. like a Star
2: Trek style hard light hologram that you can land on and have a little moon mission and put your mirror down. Precisely. Okay.
0: So the moon being hologram is actually not a new concept. Uh, the first time it's been written about was by a guy by the name, uh, or even Hollow Planets. The first time we've ever ha- talked about anything was actually, there's actually a conspiracy theory that the Earth is hollow, but that's a different thing.
1: Oh, we're doing that in another episode. But yeah. there's
0: a, yeah, there was a discussion about possibly the Earth being hollow by a scientist by the name of Edmund Halley, as far back as 1692. Um, which inspired a science fiction author by the name of H.G. Wells. You're probably familiar with his whole, um, you know, Soul Mars fan. Attacks movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah, which in turn inspired the movie Godzilla vs. Kong.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, you might know in, in uh, War of the Worlds uh, is probably what he's known for. But he did write a book in 1901 called The First Men in the Moon. Which um, sort of is influenced by the hollow earth stories because I
2: notice it says in the moon, not on the moon. Yeah. And the way you emphasize the word men implies that there were already women inside the moon.
0: (laughs) Also true. It's a gender segregated society. Men live on the moon. Women live in the moon. Mm -hmm. Mm. The non-binary people are sort of like diglets. They live in space. (laughs) They live in space. (laughs) There you go. And there is some actual scientific facts that could uh, that could be spun in a certain way to uh, push the moon as hollow. Like the fact is, the moon is a lot less dense than the Earth, quite a lot less dense. Um, Interesting. The density of the moon is three point three grams per cube uh, through cu- per cubic centimeter. I did not convert that into uh, imperial because I don't know what you use in place of grams, and, and I wouldn't fine. know what to use in place of a centimeter. But I don't um, know either. The Earth's density is a is five point five grams per cubic centimeter, and that is that is that is a huge difference. So the Earth or so the Moon's like you know interior is a lot more at least light than than the Earth is. How dense is uh, cheese? That is a good question. This is be, good. Uh, just
2: because I've I've got an alternative theory that I might propose. But that uh,
0: varies a lot. Are we talking? Uh, are we talking like a brie? Are we talking like a parmesan? Like it's usually Swiss. Is it? Could not? it be like a cheese, like a cheese puff that's all out of like aerated throughout mm. the entirety of
1: it, and it's just cut. It just has like dust, cheese dust. The moon's flavor dusted. We all know that. <laughs> it
2: does feel like that could be uh, dangerously cheesy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh okay um, this is a, you can say it Tristan this is a good episode. This is a good <laughs> episode this is fun. This is exactly what a grab bag needs to be. You invited me on the show. How is this not exactly what you expected? <laughs> this is, I know you well enough to know this is what I expected and this is what I got. you delivered perfectly. <laughs> so the, the explanation that scientists have for the density of the moon is the fact that the moon was or not the fact the fa- the, the theory that the moon was formed by an asteroid hitting the earth and sort of like or what would be called like the proto earth and in that sort of big explosion mess that the debris formed the earth and the moon and so the earth is made of stuff that got ejected from the crust and put in orbit
2: technically asteroids are aliens so i think we actually win on this
0: one but oh. but go on mm-hmm. the moon is technically in space which means it is technically an Extraterrestrial, alien so there you so. go um, and so the Earth's upper mantle and crust are less dense than its than our core. So a lot of our density comes from the core of the planet. And so if we were hit by uh, a stellar object that formed the moon from parts of the Earth's crust and upper mantle, then it would obviously be less dense. Makes sense. Another interesting thing, and this is sort of another really quote mind thing uh, about the moon, which was that uh, there was a lot of studies done on the moon during the Apollo missions from 1969 to 1977. We put people on the moon and. You know,
2: allegedly played
0: golf and drove rovers and put flags and all sorts of stuff. But they also did some science while they were there. And uh, one of the things they put on was um, seismometers, which are okay. used for detecting earthquakes. Uh, they're basically like extremely sensitive microphones. Moonquakes.
2: Uh, actually, yeah. Moonquakes. Okay. There can't be an earthquake on the moon. It'd be a moonquake.
0: Yep. They, they, they were there. They were putting it there to study moonquakes. And in part of their description, when trying to describe what the sound of a moonquake was like, they said it rung like a bell. you can't unring that bell. A shallow, like a shallow one. And this phrase made it to the pages of uh, Popular Science in 1970, which, uh, you know, got very popular. Furthermore, in 1969, on November 20th, Apollo 12 deliberately crashed part of its lunar module onto the surface. And they reported that it, quote, rang like a bell for almost an hour, leading to an argument that it was hollow like a bell. Interesting. Okay. so that was in the 60s and the 70s. We've done a bit more science since then. And we figured out that um, the moon that that the moon does have shallow moonquakes, um, but they do act differently because of the different texture of the uh, of the planetary strata that they 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 look different and so they sound different. And that's why they thought it sounded different from a regular earthquake, because uh, the sort of makeup of the moon makes it sound a little bit more uh, whatever they interpret it as a bell. But there is no actual evidence of any large empty space inside of the moon. I would even hesitate to throw in there that um, while we're on the sort of talk about the, the more sciencey parts uh, that a sphere that large that is hollow uh, would have to be made out of some magic super material because uh, the gravity of it would lead to it crushing into a sphere because all things want to become a sphere. Uh, I don't know if you've seen space, but that's the reason why everything is kind of sphere shaped because everything of a certain mass just wants to go in that direction.
2: Not not bizarre world, but yeah. uh, but but aliens would
0: have a super material. So presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we might have found evidence of that when we put people on the moon. Exactly. See, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But we have to talk about a few other stories that are very fun. Um, let's talk about some two, two people by the name of Michael Vassin and Alexander Sherbakov, Shme- uh, Yeah. Who were uh, part of the Soviet Academy of Sciences who hypothesized that the moon is a spaceship. I don't know what the Soviets were doing in science in the 70s, but, um, you know, you do you, Soviet Union, I guess. Um, they didn't. The article they made was called "Is the Moon a Creation of Int- of Alien Intelligence?" Finally, asking the real question, which was published in a uh, magazine by the name of Sputnik. Uh, Sputnik is sort of like um, it was described to me as the Soviet equivalent of Reader's Digest. Sputnik, by the way, sounds like Sputnik, a space word. Mm-hmm. Coincidence. So this thesis that the the, the moon is a spaceship uh, came to be called the uh Sherbakov hypothesis, and it made its way to the west. And basically the thesis goes that large craters, which are assumed to be made by meteor impact, are too shallow. Uh, Some of them have flat or even convex bottoms. So they hypothesize that the small meteors are making a cup-shaped a cup-shaped depression on the surface, uh, while the larger meteors are drilling through a rocky layer and hitting an armored hull underneath. Hmm. That's just science. I can think of no other explanation. Yeah. Their chief reference was speculation by an astrophysicist by the name of Yosef uh, Sklovsky, um, which uh, which is a uh, this astrophysicist suggested that Phobos, the moon of Mars, was oh. artificial and Hollow. Another thing that has been shown to not be the case as we, I think we've actually landed things on Phobos. Are all moons like, artificial?
2: <laughs> Look, one of these moons has got to be fake. It's just a matter of figuring out which one. <laughs> we're going to get,
1: we're going to find it. Trust me. Take by process
2: of elimination, we'll figure out which is the fake moon. Mm-hmm. The sussy imposter moon.
0: <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> now, there's, there's a fun Cold War thing in this, which is that um, the person who chiefly debunked it was a guy by the name of Jocelyn Colavito. And he he mostly point out that their evidence is entirely circumstantial. There's no like actual evidence that the moon hmm. is a spaceship. But but he makes the claim that and this is this is super fun. Um, all right, he claimed that the reason that they did this, that this was not like the Soviets did not seriously publish that the moon was a spaceship, but that it was some sort of propaganda effort because the Soviet Union is officially atheist. So they were trying to undermine the West's faith by (laughs) making the moon into a spaceship. So you'd see
2: this, you'd you'd find out the moon is a spaceship and then you'd be like, oh, well that settles it, there's no God.
0: But you see, okay, two things. One, that is um that is a ridiculous enough conspiracy theory for the West who have made up during the Cold War. Two, that is a crazy enough plan for the Soviets to have tried. <laughs> yeah. It's just
2: like no but no side of this argument is just looking at the evidence and drawing a reasonable yeah. conclusion. It's just like <laughs> well, those are some weird craters. It's probably a spaceship. And the other guy's like, nah, that's crazy. You're just trying to destroy my religion.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Science in the Cold War gets to some ridiculous uh, extents. Another one is that um, the Soviets decided that they didn't believe in Darwinian evolution because they thought that... um, Survival of the fittest was too capitalistic, so they believed in Lamarckian evolution, mm. which is sort of the idea that um, genes are passed down, or that, not, not genes, genes don't pass down, but like traits are passed down by like, if a deer needs to stretch its neck uh, to get to leaves, then its children will have longer necks. So that's Ooh. how giraffes happen. Like, <laughs> that's
2: why when two really jacked people have a baby, the baby's really jacked.
0: Yeah. Like our baby. Yeah. Um, anyways, the other thing that gets pointed to as like the earth, the moon must be like, you know, up to something. And this comes up a lot. You've probably heard this more often in like creationist type arguments mm-hmm. is that the moon is far too perfectly shaped. For example, solar eclipses oh. are just like, well, how did the moon get to the absolute perfect shape that it can cover the sun in a solar eclipse? What, yeah. what, what? It's too perfect. <laughs> that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's <laughs> this just is like, closer. Yeah. That's like, that's the, uh, it's like the, um, what's it called? It's like the uh, the banana being the atheist worst nightmare <laughs> type level of argument. Um. I love that. I think about that one
1: constantly. Can mm. I tell you, I think about that one all the time. Every time I eat
0: a banana. Didn't the guy who made that, isn't he like, in prison for fraud or something like that? Oh, I have no idea. I've only heard Kirk Cameron tell me that. Oh, I thought he died. Oh, he died. I can't, because like a whole bunch of those like super creationist preachers ended up like in prison for like massive amounts of fraud, but I don't know.
2: That's surprising to me. They seemed very trustworthy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, So there's a quote uh, that's attributed to Isaac Asimov in 1965 that goes, um, What makes a total eclipse so remarkable is the sheer astronomical accident that the moon fits so snugly over the sun. The moon is just large enough to cover the sun completely at times so that a temporary night falls and the stars spring out. The sun's greater distance makes up for its greater size, and the result is that the moon and the sun appear to be equal in size. There's no astronomical reason why moon and sun should fit so well it is the sheerest of coincidence and only uh, the earth among all the planets is blessed in this fashion but yeah there's been a cons- there's been conspiracy theories that have cited this quote as evidence that the moon must be fake because it's too perfectly uh, sized and shaped um mm. but astronomers would point out that the angular diameter of the sun and moon actually do vary by a few percent. And they don't perfectly match during um, during eclipses, and you can see this when you go to an eclipse. That's why you get that whole crescent shape uh, when a solar yeah. eclipse is happening because uh, it's not perfect. It's it, it, it is, it's an unfact. It is fact. Also,
2: also, moon the moon is like different sizes at different times, which you can clearly see with the naked eye. Also true. So
0: and like uh, also things like um, there's something called Bailey's beads, which is that when a solar eclipse is happening, the sort of light shines through because the surface of the moon is not. A circle. So it kind of shines through the canyons uh-huh. and stuff like that. And it shows us like kind of like a bead like th- th- uh, shape. It makes the Heroes logo from the show Heroes. Mm-hmm. We're also not the only planet that gets solar eclipses uh, in this sort of fashion. Uh, uh, an example that was brought up is, the, um, is Prometheus, which is one of Saturn's moons. Um, it has about the same sort of uh, angle. So if you were standing on the surface of Saturn, the first thing you would think is, I'm really cold. The second thing would be, I'm falling into a gas giant, the third thing would be I'm crushed to death. But if you could like hover there, uh, you could have a solar eclipse with Prometheus that would be just like on Earth. Mm. So it's not even the only version of that in our solar system. I think actually the truly
2: remarkable thing about it that I, I haven't seen a sufficient scientific explanation for is if you look up the angle of the moon's dangle, it is directly proportional to the heat of its meat.
1: That's true. And here's the thing is that scientists don't want to tell you that.
0: They don't. They don't want to tell you. You that ask any scientist and
2: they will tell you they don't want to talk
0: about it <laughs> I don't know what this is so I think you're I think you've won I think you got this point <laughs> thank you I'll concede this one
2: I look forward to you having to debunk that in a future episode
0: yeah yeah <laughs> So looking at the so looking at eclipses, scholars have pointed out that um, the conditions required for solar eclipses are the same conditions generally acknowledged to be necessary for intelligent life. Uh, we kind of talked about this in the first episode that like um, the like uh, that the like the one of the reasons that uh, that could be an answer to Fermi paradox, like why mm. the Earth might be so rare or intelligent life might be so rare, is because you need to have uh, something like the moon, like a moon that big, yeah. to stabilize our orbit and make it have regular seasons and things like that, so we don't end up tidally locked and stuff stuff. And so what you're dealing with is something called the weak anthropic principle. This one's kind of kind of weird to show, but like let's take Star Trek for an example. Please. In Star Trek there are Earth-like planets everywhere and aliens are in all these systems. The reason why we think that is the case is because we see a, we see, you know, life on Earth and we assume that we are not special so it must be everywhere. But if you think about it, we can't really use that sort of Copernican principle that Earth must be an average solar system because if life intelligent life is extremely rare on uh, in the gal- in the universe then really the only people who would be able to perceive life are people who live in very very rare edge cases in which case we are we are by our very nature skewing the numbers because we are people who live in these extreme edge cases i know this is kind of a weird the weekend across anthropic principle was kind of hard for me to grok a little bit but but in our case if uh the sort of moon needs to be of a size and in a direction that you have solar eclipses mm-hmm. that work the way that they do on earth to have intelligent life then then we're going to see it and therefore there's sort of like a bias in that sense because I if it wasn't you. that way there wouldn't be humans to observe it i get you so you're, you're yeah. Yeah, you're saying that people are
1: pointing to the moon and the sun, like the, the solar eclipse thing, as being like, Look how much of a coincidence this is, and really, it's just that if that if that wasn't the case, if the moon was not in the position that it is, and the Earth was not in that in in this in this position that it is, then we wouldn't be likely be here to even observe it because life would life wouldn't happen. Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Okay. So the Soviets needed to park the moon spaceship exactly where it is in our orbit in order to create life it was very thoughtful of them honestly thanks soviets for yeah.
0: that um <laughs> you know what
2: it has weakened my faith i don't believe in god anymore i think it's, it's
1: <laughs> <delicious>. <laughs> i started this episode as a god-fearing man mm-hmm. and now i fear nothing
2: i just have to make a call real quick i'm leaving the seminary um oh you're a priest <laughs> of, yeah well i was gonna be but uh,
1: yeah not anymore
0: <laughs> <laughs> so see this uh, this podcast changes lives yeah So, yeah, uh, the, the description I got is our location in the universe is necessarily privileged to the extent of being capable of having our existence as observers. Gotcha. Gotcha. But in the end of the day, all of these things, there's no actual scientific evidence to support that the moon is hollow. Um, we've done size, like we've looked at the seismology of the moon and collected a lot of data. We've sent a lot of people, we've sent a lot of spacecraft, we've orbited, we've landed. And what we can seem to see is that the moon has a thin crust and it has uh, a mantle and a small dense core, like, like, like all planets.
2: (laughs) So you're telling me that this random guess the two guys made for no reason was wrong?
0: Perhaps.
2: No, I've heard everything.
0: But uh, at the end of the day, that is that is why I think that the moon is probably not hollow. Um, So does that get me three
2: for three? What do you think, Mildred? Where are you at? I I still say that the moon is an alien. So I think technically, technically, I think I win on that one. So
0: I I don't get my Slim Jim. That was
2: what it was at stake. Yeah, you don't get any food. You have to go back in your box until you come up with another episode. (laughs) Go
0: (laughs) (laughs) go go in your box. Here's your Kindle. Go find us. Make us another episode. (laughs) Go Make another episode. All right. I'll go look at Crystal Skulls, I guess. Yay. But in the meantime, first of all, I think that we should thank Mildred, our wonderful guest, for spicing yes. up the content today. Could you tell us where uh, people can consume content made by you?
2: If you would like to engorge yourself upon my content, you can find me at youtube.com slash or youtube.com slash
0: Scaredy Cats TV. Made a really great video about uh, Gary V recently, mm-hmm. and it's really, really good. It's and very we good. We were just talking about how great was the beginning.
2: <laughs> I did not consider the possibility that Gary Vee is an alien. So I that mean, one's got some. I feel like that's got some legs to it for got sure. Got to do a follow up
1: on that Gary one.
0: Gary Vee is trying to spread hustle cultures to undermine our religious belief in God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is from the former Soviet Union, if I remember correctly. He's from true, uh, true. Belarus, right? Or Yes, he is. Yeah, so there you go.
1: I also just really want to hard plug uh, your, your series, Cring- The Cringe Corner, just because it is one of my favorite things on the internet right now. It's similar in concept to to this sort of show where like one person does research and the other person is sort of reacting, but it changes every time and you're reacting to the most
0: Wild people and things yeah. on the internet. Cringe corner. You, one of you goes off and basically finds a guy, and then you come back and say, "I found another guy." And yeah. We try
2: <laughs> to upset the other person as much as we possibly can. It's and, uh, really great. Uh, yeah, it's there's incredible. a new episode of that coming very soon. As soon as I'm done captioning the two hour long fucking video, <laughs> oh my God.
1: Oh no. uh, you poor yeah. soul. Very, very good. And uh, we'll have links to everything in the description of this episode, as always. Uh, you can also follow us in our show at. Not aliens on Twitter, if you would like to do that for more updates. People always tweet at us really fun things. And I uh, really appreciate after our last episode about crop circles, people were tweeting cool crop circle photos, which was very fun.
0: Our audience is too strong to be predated. uh, (laughs) To be um, killed or or be predated. That's exactly right. Tristan,
1: where can people find you on the Internet?
0: Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Step Back where I I talk about um, the past. And uh, why it's like relevant for today. I'm sort of finishing off a few projects and kind of rebranding to be a bit more focused on U.S. history and American cultural studies, uh, just so that I can, you know, step out. And what's it called? The um, the the space is getting a bit crowded, so I'm trying to, you know, do something a bit more unique. But in the meantime, I'm still finishing up a few things that I promised patrons. So, uh, but yeah, it's a history channel, and I'm a I have master's degrees in U.S. cultural studies and history, so I I hopefully can talk about stuff well. This is the long thing I've ever done on this. Scott, please
1: stop and my misery. (laughs) Hi, I also have a YouTube channel. It's called NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. I make uh, video essays about, uh, you know, cartoons, comic books, all sorts of different media. I'm working on like a 40 minute video about thought balloons like just the actual That's thing me. in comic books why why do they exist what happened to them all sorts of stuff please watch it we discovered recently so many people listen to this podcast who have n- no idea that you and i are youtubers tristan so yeah that was
0: that that, that thread or that like the replies to that tweet was wild just like the other the people who found our podcast and just did not know about nerd sync or step back at all yeah so thank you for giving this
1: episode this podcast a shot uh, if you have no idea who either of us are that means a lot thank you. For leaving all the reviews that you do and and tweeting about stuff, tweeting at us, uh, it's just so nice to know that uh, this show is is something that people love to listen to. I always have fun editing it uh, and uh, obviously recording it. It's all very fun. Uh, and hey, continue telling your friends. That's how this podcast uh, you know spreads around. That's how we get more ears. Uh, on it I suppose and uh, it's it's just the, the nicest way that you could help you know s- share us around I, suppose. I feel like I'm saying the same thing like three different mm. ways
2: Have you mentioned that you want it rated four stars
1: yet?
0: Um <laughs> we don't talk about that Uh, we don't talk about four stars the 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 only four stars
1: the only four stars is the very first xenon movie xenon girl of the 21st century four stars that's my rate xenon four stars on go um, on letterboxd yeah if you could go go to letterboxd and rate the three xenon movies for me that would that's your homework
0: yeah. Uh but uh and we'll be back next week, of course, uh once you're finished that. I'm be waiting on you, Richard. I will be. I'll be waiting for you to oh yeah, I'll be waiting on you, Richard, to put your Xenon uh, things in and we'll release a new episode yeah. once you've finished. But Richard. until Richard uh goes through with what his homework, uh, the truth is out there, friends. Probably.
2: When does the podcast start?